Lord. Amen. King of Kings. If you will turn with me to Exodus chapter 14, verse 18 and 19. And as we go there, verse 18 says, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. Praise the Lord, you may be seated. Has God been mighty for you? Amen. Has He been mighty for you today? Praise the Lord. What a mighty God. Pastor Herring, if you could pray over service real quick, please, sir. Oh, holy and mighty God. Wonderful, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. God, please guide us. In Jesus' holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God, high and mighty. So in this setting of Scripture, we see where the Israelites have now left Egypt and Pharaoh has come after them. They find themselves in what I would see is a very difficult place when you first look at it. They, are, they have got the Egyptians on one side and a whole bunch of water on the other. They have got, in the physical sense, in what they can see, no way out. And they make that feeling very evident as kind of becomes a habit through the wandering. They complain to Moses and they say, because there were no graves in Egypt... You've brought us here to die. But that was not the case. We know that. In verse 18, as, the, as we read, the Lord said, They will know that I am the Lord when I have gotten honor upon them. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And if we look at that word honor, there are a multitude of, of Bible dictionaries. One being Brown Driver Briggs is the title of it. Um, some of the words used in description of honor are heavy, weighty, glorious. Part of the Strong's definition is glorifying to glory, I believe is how it is written. So he is going to get glory. Everybody that hears about it is going to know that God is God because of what he does to the enemies of Israel. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Psalm 24 and 8. It is oh, when, when I just feel inspired to say amen, it can overcome me. I could not it under, begin to understand the mighty feeling of inspiration when this came all over the writer. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. What a verse. What an overcoming verse. Amen. And let's look at some of that. If we go to Revelation 17, 14, He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. The Lamb overcomes them in the end. Amen? John 16, 33. He has overcome the world. He says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus, God, robed in flesh, has overcome the world for us. That is a King of glory. Amen? Joshua 10, 11. God blessed His people. They were fighting with swords. But he still killed more with hailstones than with the blessed swords of his people. God blessed his people and still did more than that. Amen? What a God of glory. What a mighty king. Amen? In 1 Samuel 17.51, he used a shepherd boy, David, to kill a giant. Amen? And that's 
amazing. We all know that story, but what an incredible view to look at that from afar, to see a giant and a little shepherd boy, and the giant falls to the ground, amen? 1 Samuel 14, 6. Uh, Jonathan, thank you. Jonathan, inspired, says, there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or to save by few. He can save by whatever means he wants to, amen? And he provided sacrifice on the ark. He put every living thing that was needed to repopulate the earth on the ark and still put enough on there for the sacrifice first when they got off of the ark. Amen. God will always provide enough for the sacrifice and then everything I need for the rest. Amen. How awesome he is. Paul and Silas were delivered from prison because they prayed and praised. Nothing but God brought them out of there. And he overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah like that. That's a pretty mighty act. A little less exciting or joyous maybe than Paul and Silas getting out of prison. But what a mighty act to destroy two cities like that. But in my life sometimes, unfortunately, the enemy tries to make sure that God doesn't always look quite that mighty in my situation. If we look at a couple of examples, in 2 Kings 18.33, the Assyrians are out yelling and saying, there's no way you can withstand us. We've defeated all these other gods, all these false gods, but they weren't giving them credit to be false gods. They were just saying, we have defeated all these other gods. Don't bother following Hezekiah. We're going to kill you, or you can come serve us. Those are your options. That, that's, all, that's all the enemy's given them. There's two options. Die or join us. 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha and his servant are surrounded by the enemy. And his servant's going, uh, what are we going to do? We are surrounded. I think that was one option. We're going to kill you. And then 1 Samuel 11, the Ammonites had come against Jabesh. And Jabesh came out and said, can we make a league with you? We don't really want to get destroyed. And the option was, yeah, but we're going to poke all of your right eyes out as a reproach, as an offense against you, as a mark saying that you had two choices, die or get marred and permanently seen as a victim of us. And, and life seems to present me with those options a lot. It, it really does. And unfortunately, I have to admit that more times than, than I want to admit, since I've been living this new life, I have not been a victim of circumstance, but I have allowed myself, through rash decision-making, when I'm presented with one of two options, to more or less become a casualty of my own decision. I thought the circumstance only gave me A and B. And so I chose one of them. Whether big or whether small, I can think of some examples in my life where I was not a victim of circumstance like I thought, but rather I was hasty and went with the decisions that the world or the deceit of the enemy gave me. But, but we must not forget how we opened with how mighty and glorious God is, how overcoming He is of all these things. We don't have to choose between 
continuing in an addiction or fighting horrific pains and misery of withdrawals. God can take that. God can get rid of that. You, we don't have to worry about the pain of bondage being broken. We don't have to choose between not having a job at all or being so wrapped up in every second of overtime that we never get to see our family or make it to church. The enemy wants us to think that you're either going to be poor or you're going to be rich. There's nowhere in between. But in between is often the place that we are to be, and it is not a bad thing. Amen? And, and we don't have to choose between being our old self, whether that is, that is a temper problem or, or a substance problem or anything like that, and distancing ourselves from our family. I've known individuals that have separated themselves from their family because they thought the only option was to remain themselves and they didn't want to hurt their family. But God can change us. God can work on us. God can make me a better father, a better husband. Whatever I need to be, I don't have to make those choices. We don't have to make those choices. And we don't have to choose between spiritual integrity and staying in the walk that we know we should be in or being a complete social outcast. The enemy wants us to think that there will be absolutely no friends, no one to speak to, no one to witness to, but that is not the case. But he wants us to choose that way. So if we can go back through our list and look at the ends of these scriptural circumstances that we just looked at, 1 Samuel 11, again, Jabesh has got two options, get annihilated, get your eyes poked out. Either way, we will have our mark on you. But that was not the case. They sent off. Saul was inspired by God and through that inspiration gathered the army to come and defend Jabesh and annihilated the enemy. 2 Kings chapter 6. If we look back at that, Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes were opened. And when they were surrounded... Now all of a sudden, what they were surrounded by was even more encompassed by the might and the glory of God. Horses and chariots of fire. Amen? 2 Kings chapter 18. The result of that is found in chapter 19. Hezekiah sought after God and an angel came and killed 185,000 in one night. An entire army in one night by one angel. Amen? And that was, not to say just, but that was just who the Lord sent. That was an angel sent by the Lord that slew 185,000. So God is more glorious than these circumstances and than my circumstances. I don't have to choose between terrible and worse. I, I can be narrow-minded sometimes. I can get sucked into that trap of thinking that is the only choice I have. But, I mean, has he been mighty for you today? Has he been mighty for somebody in the house? And if not, are we going to let him? If we haven't allowed him to be mighty, it's not because he's not capable. It's because I haven't let him be mighty in my situation. Amen? So I have got to make the choice to allow him to be mighty in what I am going through. And if we return to that opening verse or opening scriptures, excuse me, we'll go to verse 19 of the 14th chapter. And we see the change right here, at least in this scripture. And the, excuse me, verse 19, please. 
And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, was leading them, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. This pillar, this cloud was miraculous, not only in the fact that it guided them, and then when it was time, when it had gotten them to the path that they needed to take, got behind them and protected them, but it also was two-sided. It was dark on one side and light on the other. Amen? God will come against our enemies while shining on us. Praise the Lord. Praise God. He is mighty. And when He gets behind us, and that's the amazing thing about God. He can be in front of me and I can be following Him. And at the same time, He is behind me, protecting me from what I'm going through. But what an awesome example. When He gets behind His people, He says, okay, this is the path you take. And this was the choice. They said, okay, we're taking that path. Had they gone down the shoreline? Who knows? But they took the straight and narrow path. God said, go this way. And the awesome thing is when they took the straight and narrow path that he decided for them, he used that very same path to collapse in on the enemies of God, in on the enemies of his people, and defeat them. So don't settle on an option that the enemy has given us, or, or a deceitful option, or, or just sinking into defeat, if you will, because it seems like there are only two or three or four really bad options. Make sure that we take the time to pray. Make sure that we take the time to declare how good God is. Because if we look at it, the walls of Jericho did not fall and then they shouted afterwards. No, they shouted before, amen. Hezekiah prayed first. Paul and Silas prayed and praised first. Don't let God's glory pass you by when it's just waiting for you to reach out and grab it in the middle of your situation. Praise the Lord. Second Timothy is where I'm looking at with you, with you tonight. Second Timothy 4, Brother, Tim, uh, Brother Anthony, thank you. Amen. And I could have used, I could have given this title to Brother Anthony say this respectfully as he was going through the numerous stories and applying them to our life uh, I could have I could have used my title for his lesson tonight not that you needed my title I'm just telling you what was going through my mind as you were talking second Timothy chapter 4 verse 10 the Bible said for Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. Did you hear that? This is Paul, the apostle, talking. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark, bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And my title, the reason I said that, I'm what I did, Brother Anthony. My title is, is one of those stories. This is just one of those stories, all right? Somebody say, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. They say, and I know it is true, that life often imitates 
art. That often we see things that are uncovered in a play or in a story or in a situation that we, we wrap our mind around, but we see it fitting somebody else, and the more the story unravels, boom, a light turns on, on in your personal life, and you see yourself standing as one of the characters of the play. They say that in many artistic stories, you can find yourself, if you look hard enough, in the demonstration of one of the characters. Maybe you see yourself as the villain or the hero. Maybe you see yourself as the victor or the loser. The good, the good guy or the bad guy. The passive one or the powerful one. The gloomy or the cheerful. The visionary or the defeated. The revolutionary or the political conformist. Maybe it's the rebel, but sooner or later, if you pay attention to stories in life, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, they say that we can uncover our own personality in the details of characters. I believe that to be true. Well, this is one of those stories that comes with very few details. We're supposed to, with the theater of our mind, unravel where we fit in the height of these two men's character, Demas or Luke. Somewhere, Brother Mike, in the middle of their descriptive testimonials, we see ourselves. One of the few details we are given is that there are two men in the same exact environment. It's namely an environment of revival with the great apostle Paul as the pastor, the mentor, the apostle, the leader. Don't you know that power, that Paul, get me, there we go, I got some water and my lips won't stick together so much here. Paul was a powerful man of God, used in great apostolic ministry. Say it with me, Paul was powerful. And he is the one speaking, he is the one authoring the thought that my mind's trying to wrap itself around. Are you still with me tonight? So one man's name in this story, a few details, is Demas. Demas means popular. Imagine that. He forsook Paul because he loved the present world more than he loved the private world of Paul's powerful ministry. You see, some people, some characters in the story that you and I may liken to or unto would rather be popular than they would be powerful. A Demas would rather care that his name is in the marquee or on the lights then he would rather be experiencing the power of God in revival. If you took the name the Apostle Paul and put it up to names in the marquee that Hollywood recognizes, nobody knows who Paul is in, in comparison to this actor's name, that actress's pedigree, that popular group's list of hit songs. Would you rather be popular tonight or powerful? Yeah, you say that. But somewhere in the confines of every story, we will find honest 
reflection. Demas bailed on Paul for one reason and one reason only. It wasn't that Paul scolded him too often. It wasn't that Paul could see into his private world. We're not told any of that. We're just told that Demas forsook Paul because of a strong attraction to the world inside of him. I say this in respect and love for you tonight. Is that where you find yourself? Longing to be recognized. Longing to be looked at. Longing to be lifted up. Longing to be marqueed. The Bible said in Romans 8 verse 6, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life very frequently imitates art. The other man's name is Luke. Luke means laborer. Now, there are two names put between Demas and Luke, and they're pretty nondescript, at least in the present context. We're, we're supposed to have our eyes and our mind wrapped around what begins with a story and what ends with this story. Demas, Paul, initially highlights his story. He's a lover of the world. But how he ends the story is a man with a man named Luke, and Luke means laborer or light bringer. Do you know that 3 and 9 of 1 Corinthians says, we are laborers together with God. You might call yourself a revolutionary, but if you're a divider of mankind, then you can find your personality, your fit in life, your self-made fit in life in Demas and not in Luke. Demas was a lover of the world. He caused division in the circles that Paul walked in. Paul said, we must go from here to there. Forget what you need and let's put the cause of common good ahead of us. Demas said, no way, man. They know me over there. I'm, I'm the supervisor over there. People know who I am over there. When I'm in Paul's environment, I'm just another face. I'm just another person. Would you rather be just another person as long as that comes with a powerful a company of men like Paul? Or would you rather be known, an isolationist, somebody out there that's seeking popularity? Here you have it. You have two men in one environment with very few details other than that. Our minds are supposed to fill in the blanks of the details. Paul didn't say, Ron Herring, now you make a choice here. But Paul left so much opportunity for me to fill in the blanks in the subject. He just said this about Demas. He forsook me because he loved the world. But Luke... Luke was the man I'm going to use to bring Mark back into my life. Demas, for, he forsakes and divides. And Luke gathers and acquires and builds up and brings more. I don't know. Maybe I should just close up here tonight, all right? Maybe I should just stop. One of those stories... It's one of those stories 
where we see our own reflection shining in either of the camps. Oh, we won't, we won't admit to wanting to be popular. Oh, heavens no, we would never admit that. No way. We would never admit to a, a personal jealousy when Pastor Herring chose Brother Carlisle as father of the year this year, this year when, when inside no one knows but God knew, inside you're thinking, he didn't choose me, that ticks me off. Oh, go ahead and laugh if you want. Go ahead. I'm in the spirit whether you are or not tonight. I know it. And see, see, only true reflection tells you what you need to see and hear. That's why the Bible, the Bible is referred to as the mirror of the soul. Well, every time you look at it, you might be wanting to find something to accuse another from in the Bible, but you'll see your own reflection one way or the other. One man's name is Demas. It means popular. And when the push came to shove, he said, Paul, it's been nice. The other man's name is Luke. Luke is a worker. He's a laborer. That's why Paul says, I need you to do me a favor. Go over there and get John Mark and bring him back to me. He's profitable to me in the ministry. Luke doesn't go, what do I get out of this? Do I get first billing? Do I get top heading? Is my name going to be on the top of the, of the list for who's who in the church employee of the month? We're not told any of that. We just know that Paul, the man of great power and authority, gave Luke, the laborer or light bringer, a message to deliver. Two men, one environment, very few details. Literally, the theater of my mind has to fill in the colors and the blanks and the opinions and the persuasions and the takes and the ideas. What we do know, Brother Lance, is this. Demas brings separation and division. I'm out of here. Luke brings togetherness through work. Luke adds to the flock by labor. Demas separates and breaks down the flock because of his popularity ambitions. And Luke builds up the flock because he's obedient and just wants to work for God. He just wants to work for God. We're not told Luke wants recognition, acceptation. We're just told that Paul says, go get Mark. Can you see yourself in either of these two men? Can you see your reflection in a strong personal ambition in either Demas or Luke? I'm not asking you to stand up and admit anything. I'm just trying to, trying to communicate to your soul right now. Are you a divider or a gatherer? Are you one that brings division everywhere you go, in your family, on the job, in the community, on the Little League baseball team? Always have a contrary opinion. Always have a divisive, 
divisionary type attitude. Always got to put your opinion in. I've shaken my head and scratched my head at decisions of little, little league coaches a thousand times just like you. But it's so easy to be an armchair quarterback. You're talking about a bunch of volunteers out there with a bunch of kids, all right? They got off work at 5 or 6 o'clock just like you did and hustled down there to put up with a bunch of squalling brats and, and, and rebellious little kids who are pampered at home and everywhere in life. And they get up and say, well, I'll coach, sure. And we sit back and go, well, you bird brain, can't you see my son's more equipped to pitch than your son is? You say, it's not like that way, Pastor Harry. Demas always got his two cents worth in. Thinking that his opinion brought him more popular opinion in the community, perhaps. Luke just said, what is it you need me to do? What was that you told me? And his first thought was just work. 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 Some people always check and see if they're going to sing a song. Is, is, am I on there to sing this week? Oh, 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 I'm not on there. Others don't even have any. If it is, it is. If it isn't, well, it's, it's life. But I know the garbage needs to be taken out. But I know that there's garbage that fell out of the dumpster out on the ground out there. I noticed the rapper right over there earlier. Oh, but I'm not singing this week. I don't get to speak this week, Pastor. Are you a divider or a gatherer? Are you one that leaves situations more divided after you leave them? Or do you leave them more gathered, more collected, more united? Just one of those stories. It's just one of those stories where we're not, we're not told much, but we're told enough. Brother Justin, every time I read this, every time I read this, I'm just going to confess to you, sir. Every time I read this, I think of times in my life that I've been a division causer. I do! I don't want to be known as a demon sort. One seeking something that's not supposed to be mine. But I also read Luke, and I think, you know, it's just the mercy of God sometimes that helps you and I become collectors, gatherers, nest protectors. Hmm? I was talking to the lady at does alters my suits and stuff town, in town here. And nice, nicer lady, nice lady. And uh, she has horses. She's always trying to tell me about what's going on in the horse life. And of course, I'm trying my best to be interested. I am interested. I love horses. I don't know anything about them. I don't own any, but I love them. I'll stop off, I will stop often on Farm Loop Road and just look at those horses in the field. Like, they're just amazing creatures to me. Uh, but Brother Larry, she's telling me that, uh, anyway, there was a baby born. 
uh, a couple months ago. I don't know what the time frame is, but it's been, it's been all this summer. And she's going through the process of weaning the baby off mom. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm thinking today, you know, just size my coat up, would you hear, so you can take it from a 42 to a 40, please. But she's going through every process about the struggle, the family struggle of, of infant breaking away from mom. And she's talking about how it's, it's so powerful, the bond, and you have to force it for their own good in the future. And I, I asked her, I said, you know, I, I don't want to be philosophical, but I said, you know that in the western part of the United States, they still have herds and herds of wild horses, Brother Larry. They just roam the desert. They're wild. Nobody owns them. And I said, what we force sometimes in captivity, a.k.a. the weaning of a colt, is what they call them? I don't know. Yeah, whatever it is. I said, surely nature teaches them that in the wild, right? Because there's thousands of horses in the, in the West that they don't, they don't have a trough to go feed in every day. They, they eat, feed in the wild. They live in the desert. Yeah. And so nature will teach them sooner or later. But her point she made to me was that, yes, but I know that this is going to cause a stronger bond in that horse family if I help them get to the future quicker. That makes sense or not? I'm trying to say is this, that even though nature will do it eventually, we have enough knowledge to create that better healing environment. It sounds like it's divisive and divisionary, but it's one that's necessary is what I'm trying to say for the betterment of the population of that family, et cetera. I'm not trying to tell you there's sometimes it's better to be a divisive, divisionary person, not in the kingdom of God, unless someone is trying to be divisive, then we have to divide our fellowship away from them. Right? Right? It was, it was um, Solomon that said in Proverbs chapter 6, he talks about the seven things that God just deplores. And the last thing God hates is he that sows discord among the brethren. You can paint all the rosy, flower child, 60s pictures of God being nothing but love and mercy. But God hates some things. He hates some things. And one thing he hates is division causers. Pastor Herring, you're making that up. Read your Bible, Proverbs 6.19. 16 through 19. He hates division makers. There it is. Where, where do I see myself in this story? Just one of those stories, Brother Anthony. I'm going to stop right here. It's just one of those stories where, where God is trying to speak to me as an individual. Trying to speak to you as a person, a young man, an elder man. Are you a divider or a gatherer? It's one of those stories. Thank you, merciful God, tonight for your goodness, for your loving kindness that's better than life, for the help of God, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the strength of the Lord. We bless your name, God. We bless your name, God. We bless your name, God. You're worthy of all the praise and all the glory. Thank you, Lord, tonight, considering my soul, remembering my life, helping me. God, a 
way. Forgive me for ever dividing anything that needed to stay together. Forgive me, God, for ever being double-minded and causing division anywhere, anywhere that my feet have stepped. I give you all the praise, God. Make us gatherers. Help us to be accumulators of unity, accumulators of the mercy of God, bringing and building and helping the kingdom of God to be more. Give you all the praise, Lord. Give you all the glory, Lord. Be seated just a moment. Just play softly if you wouldn't mind. Sorry. Comments, questions, thoughts, ideas, regards, concerns.